This is Shayla Adams-Stafford and you're listening to Project-Based Learning in Practice. Hello everyone and thank you again for tuning into another week of PBL in Practice. I'm your host Shayla Adams-Stafford and the goal of this project is just to share with each other best practices, successes, and failures in project-based learning. I've been an educator for the past 10 years, focusing specifically on PBL, and I love this opportunity to speak with educators from all across the country and really gain some insight. I'm also a member of the National Faculty of Buck Institute and founder of Remix Education, a nonprofit that serves first-generation college-bound students. But enough about me, let's jump into our guest for this week. Our guest for this week is James Fester, a former classroom teacher from the San Francisco Bay Area. Both of his parents were teachers, so no surprise that he ended up in the classroom. He worked in California for 10 years as a social studies teacher and worked many years as a Google certified innovator and common sense media ambassador. Currently, he works at a private school near St. Paul, Minnesota as a technology integrationist where he works with teachers to facilitate their growth in quality tech integration while also serving as a national faculty member for the Buck Institute of Education. Hi, Jane. How are you? Hey, there you are. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for dialing in. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Thank you so much for uh, having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So we just heard a little bit about your background, James. Is there anything else that our listeners should know about you? Um, Well, um, like what brought me to PBL or just me in general? Just you in general, something that folks may not know just by listening to your bio. Oh, well, um, I... um, some things you wouldn't know about me by not knowing my file. Um, I worked, uh, I've worked on a lot for, with a lot of different youth agencies over the years. So everything from, um, from the Boy Scouts to the YMCA, and I've done it all over the U S which has kind of helped me know a little bit more, like learn a little bit more about um, just education across the country because I've gotten to interact with students in a whole different uh, myriad of settings and heard what they thought about, their classes and their teachers and what they're learning and things like that. And so it kind of, that I think has helped me really kind of helped expose me to a lot of different ideas kind of inadvertently by talking to students one-on-one. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, what brought me to project-based learning was really kind of three different things that I, I kind of jokingly talked about it as a, um, as a, as like a play in three acts kind of, because I had kind of a, um, <laughs> I had kind of an, uh, a, a long roundabout way into education. And it really kind of actually started when I was 12 years old, because that was when I got my first job as a, um, as a counselor at summer camp working for the Boy Scouts. And yes, I'm an Eagle Scout. By all means, have fun with it if you'd like, because it is kind of goofy and silly. But one thing 
that that experience and, and the years that I spent working for these different um, at these different camps, because I think I spent uh, almost uh, like a, probably a good 16, 17 years working in summer programs was that um, that uh, the model of, of instruction that they kind of pushed. And so by the time I was leaving summer programs and moving into the classroom, I had um, had to develop this this different way of teaching because the first thing that they told you when they walked in is that the you know the the campers that are coming here they're not students they they would they yeah. kind of hammered that into our heads they said they spent all year at school they don't want you to come and do what their teachers are going to do but you have certain things that you have to teach them how to do and so they always said you're not teaching students in classes you're facilitating with your peers a learning experience. And that's wow. really kind of how, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a way of thinking about it that um, by the time I got into the classroom, I was doing all of these things like emphasizing hands-on learning and um, participatory activities and had this inquiry-driven method of instruction that, that, that I, I didn't really have words for because it's just how, what I'd always done and what I had to do when I was working with, at these summer programs. So that was kind of the first part of mm -hmm. my journey to PBL. The second part was when I got into the classroom, uh, I'd started working at a small district in Northern California, uh, just across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. And I was working there um, and doing the things that I had always done. Like I had these habits that were like camp instruction habits that I had. And I didn't really <laughs> know what, I didn't know what they were. Like I didn't have words for them um, until about my fourth or fifth year uh, our district decided to bring Buck Institute in for a workshop. And then suddenly for the first time I had this vocabulary and this formalized method to take the little pieces that I had been playing with um, during my, my younger years and put them into practice in a much more effective way. And it's something that I know that you probably are aware of that a lot of times teachers are doing all of the things that we want them to in PBL, but right. they may not be thinking about them the right way, or they may not have them in the, in the best order to make them the most effective practices. And that's kind exactly. of what this experience did for me. Right. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was, it was really great. And um, the last thing I just want to touch on briefly, because it kind of connects to some of the work that I'm really interested in right now is that um, outside of my formal classroom teaching, being that I was still kind of a big outdoor nerd from all my years when my parents shipped me off to summer camp, I still, um, <laughs> and I still do, I, I was, I began doing interpretive work um, at, uh, for a couple of different groups. Like I worked for San Diego County Parks and Rec for a while. I worked for the California State Park System uh, at Angel Island in the middle of the San Francisco Bay as a volunteer interpreter. And then most recently for the National Park Service. And um, mm -hmm. this, yeah, and, and through that work, I got trained informalized interpretation, which I'm just starting to kind of make and I'm trying to formalize the connections between the inquiry-based processes that drive PBL in the classroom and the interpretive model that, that essentially all park rangers and museum guides and everybody uses when the public comes in. And so it's like, you know, you're, you're weaving this narrative, you're trying to 
create the sense of empathy between the visitor and the subject you're talking about. You're trying to create this kind of truthful air about the facts that are associated with whatever it is you're talking about. Um, and so it really is a lot about connecting the visitor, much like we're trying to connect the student um, to the learning, the subject of the learning. Uh -huh. And um, it's a really, in, you know, there's, it's a, it's a very um, interesting process, which there are a lot of different um, parallels about that I'm really uh, interested in exploring more and I'm doing so with, uh, with my current work. So that's yeah, kind of that, how I got That's wider. really interesting. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. And I would never tease you about being a scout because I was a Girl Scout as well. <laughs> I there just you go. Throw that out there. But I mean, just your scout experience and your experience with the National Park Service, mm -hmm. you know, I think that was really interesting when you were mentioning the, the concept of facilitating with peers mm -hmm. um, as sort of the model for um, the scouts and then thinking about in the National Park Service, thinking about how to create this connection between visitors and and um, how that translates also into what the work we do with PBL, connecting students. And I mean, are there other connections that you found between like scouts and parks and P PBL? Yeah, um, one of the one of the big ones is, and, and this is something that that I know you're familiar with, is the importance of it not being student centered, not being teacher centered, but student centered. You know that you need right. to kind of get out of this idea of um, you yourself as the teacher are the sage on the stage, and the most effective means of instruction is going to be for the students to sit there and get that, you know, sit and get. Um, that model, for a lot of different reasons, is not, is not best for, for a multitude of things, but it's definitely not the best thing if you really want to have deep long-term learning or student engagement through this, this process and kind of pair with them on it. And so, um, right. you know, and, and that kind of brings us to, to inquiry being the center of this, where the students are the ones who are coming up with the questions, trying to figure out what it is they need to know in order to complete a task or a challenge associated with a project. And then you mm -hmm. as the teacher are sometimes facilitating through certain things or helping them to just, you know, helping them kind of uncover what it is they need to know. There might be some instruction when you're helping them skill build, but it really is a partnership more than it is a, um, a, a like a, a, a led by, instructor activity and it's very similar mm -hmm. with interpretation because in a, in a way it's a little bit more challenging because you only have these people's attention for when they come in you know they, they come to your park or they come to uh, the monument or wherever it is whatever it is the site that you're interpreting for them and they expect to get you know, you need to give them this information you need to, to connect with them quickly and so you have mm -hmm. to figure out very quickly you know who they are, what their interests are, why they're there, so that mm. you can use that in the process. And so it's the idea of first trying to get them to engage with and appreciate the subject of whatever it is that you're interpreting. So it might be, um, you know, get asking them what they already know, um, you know, framing the subject around um, the purpose of their visit, but then also after that, trying to create a sense of empathy with them because you want them to, you want to, you want to experience or you want them to experience it through a different point of view. Um, right. And so you're, you're kind of leading them through 
either what had happened there or the importance of the area or what daily life was like at this place so that they come away with a different type of um, understanding the did. And you've got to, you know, and, and just like in teaching, you have to have your formative checks. And so it's got to be a very interactive process. Very, right. um, it can't be something that there very few groups, especially families are going to want to sit there and listen to you jaw on for, for an hour nonstop. So you have to find, you have to break up the instructional bits with things for them or give them you know, realia or things to interact with in some way. And then finally, before they leave, hopefully get some sort of way for them, you know, have them kind of, um, you know, find a way to, to make it a little bit more authentic or to have them come back so that they not just take something away from it, but also support the work of the park or the mission of the place where you are. And so it's, it's, yeah. it's a process that's, it's very, very similar in a lot of ways to the ways that we try to engage our students and to get them to care about what they're learning or, or help them realize why they should care about what they're learning, even if they don't know. Wow. That is so cool. And just as you were talking, I think I came up with at least three projects in my brain on local parks. <laughs> near me. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, yeah. yeah absolutely. And they're, and they're a great, a great and an underutilized in my opinion, resource for teachers because something like uh, 95% of the U S population lives within a 45 minute drive of, of a national park or monument. And it's even shorter if you mm -hmm. take into account state parks or County parks. And a lot mm -hmm. of them, have educational resources that they freely give or programs that even if you can't get your students there, they can come in, maybe they can, uh, they can Skype in or maybe they can bring somebody out or a lot of parks have what are called crate programs where they bring things like objects and different things associated with the park to your students because they know number one, part of their mission is of course education, but on top of that, mm -hmm that if the students get excited enough, they're going to want their families to take them out there or they're going to want to follow up and then you, the park is starting to get visitors and it, it benefits them as well. So I've, I've really been um, happily surprised a lot of times when I've reached out to different um, historic sites and, and just asked them for support in projects I've done, the, the lengths they're willing to go to. There, there really is power in just asking. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, James, now that you've told us a little bit about your PBL story, tell us about your PBL superpower. Okay. So I spent a little bit of time, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I actually brought my wife in as well, because she's an educator. I said, I, I know I'm going to be asked this question. I didn't know what my superpower is. And she said, well, you're a very <laughs> mollifying presence. And I was trying to figure out, like, is that a good thing or not? So I had to look it up, and I'm not embarrassed <laughs> to say that. But... Um, once I looked it up, I knew exactly what she was talking about because um, one of, you know, I, I, I uh, was a classroom teacher and have kind of taken a, that part of my educational uh, persona right now has kind of taken a back seat to the part which is supporting teachers to support their students. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I really like coming into a situation where a teacher is either new to project-based learning where it's their first attempt or a student is new to project-based learning it's their first time through a project and they get into the situation where it's like this isn't going to work this is too hard i just don't get it just why can't you just give me a test or why can't i just give my students a powerpoint presentation and be done with it and really helping them kind of stop and get that you know get those real concerns out 
but then helping them move past those obstacles or figure out ways to overcome them so that they can have a successful uh, PBL experience and really understand the power of that kind of, uh, of educational model and really mm-hmm. see that it's for the teachers, it's going to give them, you know, a, a new way to engage their students and a better way for a lot of them, uh, a lot of their students. And for the students themselves, they're going to see a lot of growth in areas other than just the subject. And they're going to find a newfound, hopefully a newfound appreciation for something that they might thought of as, as boring or kind of meaningless through this authentic yeah. focus that we have in PBL. Okay. So you are kind of the, the invisible hand helping the teacher uh, kind of bring their project back from the, the fray. <laughs> so go. tell us about a, a breakthrough PBL moment. And this, you know, can be related to a class of your own or mm-hmm. a class or that another teacher had that you kind of helped them um, in that moment. Yeah, one that comes to mind almost immediately was um, during uh, my uh, one of my last years as a full time teacher before I moved into a, a, what I'm doing now, which is part time support, but in the classroom. And um, mm-hmm. one of uh, I had this, uh, and this is going to sound familiar to I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, but I had this this group of students who, anytime we did a group project, they just did everything they could do nothing, you know? So <laughs> they would, they, they and, and it wasn't because they weren't smart. In fact, they were probably some of the smartest kids I'd ever had, but they knew how to get the rest of the group to do it for them so that they could more or less just kind of skate through. And so after seeing this pattern repeat itself once or twice, um, and uh, there's this one student in particular who I just looked at him and I knew, I, I saw the way his peers looked at him and I knew that he was like a natural leader and I really wanted him to, to, to have a chance to, to have that kind of, uh, to bring that aspect of himself out into the classroom so that he could, you know, see that it's not just something that he has to, um, not just something that he does like with his, with his friends in his off time, but something that could actually benefit him academically and really mm-hmm. help him kind of engage with the class more. And so what I did was I stuck him and all of these, you know, uh, kids that were trying to skate by all together in one group. And on the first day that we put him in their groups, he looked around and he realized exactly what I had done. And he came up to me and he said, like, I can't be in this group. None of these people do anything. And I looked at him and I said, well, now's your big chance to be the one that whips them into shape. And I didn't let him move. And it was not, always easy for him but he realized very quickly that if he wasn't the one step forward because none of the rest of them were going to he whipped this group of kids into shape and he was stressed sometimes and he was frustrated so I don't want to make it sound like it was a perfect thing the entire time there were days when he just wanted to like quit and walk away but we had a lot of one-on-one talks and a lot of debriefing and reflecting and um even on the days when he just was like, I just want to be done. Just give me my individual work and I'm going to go work by myself. I'd say, well, just try this and do it one more day. And we had a couple of one more days and we finally got to the end of the project and he was able to pull this group through. And it was the first time he had said in his reflection at the end, because I always make my groups do individual reflections at the end of every project. And he said it was the first time that he had ever been a leader in a group project in his life. Um, And that he didn't know if he liked it or not, which I really think actually says a lot about leadership because sometimes it's really not a lot of fun, you know? Right. Um, but the fact that he had never felt like he had never done that before 
and he was able to do it just even that once was really, really great. And that felt like a really great uh, successful moment to me. And that's awesome. That's definitely going to encourage a lot of teachers that are listening to this when they have that group that just wants to skate by. Yeah. (laughs) That'll definitely, um, definitely give some insight for a lot of folks. So what has been your most challenging PBL moment? Um, the most challenging thing I think for me, um, is knowing that sometimes the best thing for a student is to fail and fail early. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that there, you know, we, we talk a lot about, um, a lot about this. It's kind of a, one of those conversations going around the ed world right now where they're talking about allowing students to fail or the importance of failure and how, you know, failure is, is a natural mechanism in the learning process where, you know, you can't figure out the right way to do something until you figure out the wrong way to do it several times kind of thing. And I think it's hard mm-hmm. because, um, it's hard for me, especially when I see groups kind of going off on a tangent that I know is eventually going to lead them back to on their own, you know, the right answer, but mm-hmm. not blurting the answer out or not coming over and fixing a problem that I see right away or, or not, um, you know, um, trying to be the one that always has all the answers and is trying to save them from themselves, especially when things like time are of the essence, because, oh my Lord, there's never enough time in, in, in education. And so, you know, you always want to kind of move things along, but, you know, whether they're students or whether they're, you know, visitors to a park, facilitating their connection to the answer or the solution is really what we should be doing. Not so much telling them what they should think or what they should do, but letting them figure it out for themselves. You know, it's, it's that whole like teach a man to fish adage where like, you know, I could go over and just catch the fish for you. But if I, sit here and watch you get frustrated and cast the line 20 times, eventually you're going to teach yourself how to do it. And you know, what's going to be in the long run more beneficial. We all know that, but it's not always really easy to do. Um, on side note, I've also tried to teach kids how to fish at summer camp and it is very frustrating, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, it's something yes. that they feel much more rewarded. You know, they feel a lot more rewarded when they do it themselves than when someone does it for them. And so like in the end, how can you argue with that? You can't. No, you can't. Um, <laughs> you really can't. Um, what tips do you have for PBL practitioners uh, specifically related to your area of focus? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so if one of the things that I would definitely say about um, just kind of with me trying to connect the stuff that goes on at, at, at at parks and, and historic sites with, with project-based learning is um, mm-hmm. if you're really interested in create, finding a blueprint for inquiry, like if you're, if you're completely confused about like, what the heck is this or how do I do it? What is this inquiry thing? Is it just making a list of questions? I'd really encourage people to look at um, the next time they're on family vacation to really pay attention to what pe- these people do. If they do end up in one of, in a place like that, whether it's like their, their local, museum or, or, uh, you know, or a Yellowstone way out in Wyoming or wherever it is, but really pay attention to the way that the, the interpreters facilitate your learning as opposed to just tell you what to do. Because what you'll see is that, you know, they're going through the motions, especially if you're familiar with PBL, 
they have a lot of tips and tricks and little ways of doing things that you can steal and bring right back into the classroom with you. Um, and yeah. so, and they also have a lot of resources on how to naturally uh, create this interest and this wonder. They're very good at it. And, um, and it's, it's a great kind of method to adopt. Another thing I'd also do is suggest that while you're there, or even if you're, you don't happen to be there, find out what resources you have in your community. Um, I just recently moved um, from California to Minnesota. And so I'm relearning about my community um, and, mm -hmm. and learning about the different things that are around us. And um, just so happened to, on my way home from work one day, find out that the, um, the local uh, National Wildlife Refuge has this amazing educational resource section and um, on all sorts of topics, not just related to science, but math when talking about counting birds or, um, you know, uh, history when talking about the, you know, development patterns and how that affects wildlife. And there's all these different things that they just have that right. I just was able to walk in and get because I asked for it and, and, and knew about them there. And so I think those are the two kind of um, tips that I would have for, for people if they're, I mean, especially if you're looking for outside experts or if you're looking for people to come and watch your kids present to give them an authentic audience or just come up with some sort of idea for a project that's authentic, definitely look at the, uh, the resources you have around you in the form of, um, of parks and recreation because there's a lot there. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think you're, the point you made earlier about how close we are to not only national parks, but state and local parks, I, that's inspiring for me. And I know it will be inspiring for other educators to really just jump out there and see what is available and how we can tie this into presently any projects we have going on or projects we have planned for the future. Yeah, absolutely. No, ab absolutely. And um, I, I think, especially since, you know, you try to make PBL really the home, one of the hallmarks of it is making the learning relevant for students so that they can actually affect change in their own communities. What better way yeah. to do that than to go down to a local community resource or state park and, and find out what challenges they're dealing with and maybe building a project around it that you can connect with them on. I mean, I, it would be a, a great and kind of ready-made formula for some really great on authentic learning. Absolutely. So we're going to round it out. Any specific tips for PBL practitioners or organizational tools that have really helped you? Um, yeah, one thing that I always love to, um, to, to offer to the teachers that I'm working with, because uh, a lot of people nowadays, even if, uh, even if not all their students have uh, Google accounts, a lot, of, uh, a lot of teachers do, or you can get one just by signing up for it's very, and then you get access to all of their great apps. And one question that I have a lot about is managing all the different groups. It's like, well, if I have group projects and I have eight different groups and they're all kind of working at different times at different things, how do I keep them aligned? Google Keep is one of my favorite tools, but you have all of the Google suite. There are lots and lots of ways um, to use them as management tools to connect your students with resources, to keep them on track, to collect work from them. Um, and so I, I always try to get people to do that. And um, you can find online or uh, even by just talking to the people at your schools, like what they're doing with them, um, you can get some really great ideas for, for using the whole Google Suite. And I, I, I wrote a couple of blog posts about it too on uh, the BIE 
website about how great they are and, and my experiences using them. So I always try to get people to do those. Um, and um, I also really like um, looking at what other people are doing um, and by looking at uh, social media, especially the hashtag PBL, because lots mm -hmm. and lots of people, they put up great things uh, like resources or different ideas for projects that you can kind of look in and dial in on. And even if you're not a huge social media person per se, you don't have to be to follow the hashtag. You can just do it through an, through an internet browser. And I'd highly suggest people dial into that community of practitioners because they're going to get a lot of great resources from all over um, the world. So just, yeah, that's kind of my, the ed tech side of me kind of offering some solutions on how to bring technology and to make your practice better. Tip. So if you're not already following the PBL hashtag, please make sure you do on all of your social media networks. Speaking of social media, how can our listeners keep in contact with you, Jane? <laughs> Well, if, if, if you're inviting me to shamelessly plug my social media account, I we absolutely more plug than away. happy to do that. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, um, I am on Twitter. I tweet like a maniac. My, um, main, my main account is at St. Fester, uh, S-A-I-N-T-F-E-S-T-E-R, because I was the good son in my family. So that's where that comes <laughs> from. Um, and uh, so that's a that's a great way to connect with me. Um, and, and if I could also, uh, another way is I have a website, festeredu.com. Um, that's a great place to go. And one thing I'd like to offer up to folks, if they're looking for a place to get started, there's lots of great places to get um, projects on the, uh, the internet and great PBL ideas for PBL projects. But if they're looking for some way of, or looking for examples of how to bring public lands, national parks into the project-based learning process um, on my website, or uh, I'm working on a project now called Park-Based Learning, and I'm offering all sorts of free resources for educators that are looking to do that and also free help for them if they are looking to design their own. And so anybody who's interested, I'd love to have you come and check out the project and, and lend your support to it. So those are kind That's of awesome. three ways of connecting with me and, and uh, always happy to hear from folks. That's awesome. And if they want to learn more about park-based learning, is there a Twitter handle for park-based learning? Oh yeah, there is. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, park-based learn because I ran out of characters. So it's park-based <laughs> learn all one word and uh, you can follow along there. I, I always tweet out a lot of the stuff that either is in the process of being created or is already free and available to educators across the country. So definitely check it out and uh, love to hear what people think about it as we keep getting going with it. Awesome. Well, James, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for all of your insight. And I hope that our listeners will connect with you around park-based learning. I surely am going to check the sites. Have Thank a wonderful so week. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You as well. Thank you again for having me on and I uh, really appreciate your time. Great talking to you. Great talking to you too. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of PBL in Practice. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with James Fester. As promised, we have a blog coming soon. However, we need to get your information to let you know when it's going to launch. So, head on over to pblinpractice.wordpress.com 
forward slash contact. Drop your information and you'll be the first to know when PBL in practice is live. Thank you again for tuning in and have a great week.